joining us here episode of Sartorial Splendor. I am super, super, super excited today because Giz is back. Yes. Hello. It's been a hot minute. <laughs> it has been. It has been. I'm so excited to be back. I had such a fun time the last time I was here. So I'm happy to be back. Thank you for having me. And it is spring, which means we're in the middle of a fashion rotation. We are indeed. Last time Giz was here, we talked a little bit more beyond the fragrance element of what sartorial is. So I wanted to keep that theme up, though we do want to do a quick scent check. Yes. So what are you wearing tonight? Okay, so I am wearing L'Ombre Dans L'Eau from the House of Diptyque. That's my scent of the evening. Yes. And how would you describe that? Okay, so L'Ombre Dans L'Eau, it's, it's kind of like a very fruity, very green sort of fresh fragrance. Um, if you've ever smelt the candle that they have, which is Bayes, it's one of their most popular candles. It's literally, for me, the fragrance interpretation of that candle. So um, it almost smells kind of like a very fresh, um, like sort of like very leafy, very green, but with those nice berries as well, but um, a little bit musky as well. So it's a really gorgeous fragrance. Yeah. Perfect. I am wearing, I'm actually wearing two, um, but yes. the one we'll profile right <laughs> now is I am wearing Brilliantly Br- British by Penhaligans. Um, I almost missed the boat on that one because I waited so long to get a decant and then I had to order a bottle all the way from Italy, but okay. absolutely fantastic fragrance from Penhaligans. It's leather and not leather sorry lavender and like toffee kind of caramel caramel however you wish to pronounce it depending on where you're Mm -hmm. from Um, (laughs) it reminds me is kind of like a not as spicy ish changing constants it's absolutely lovely and gorgeous and I'm kicking myself for not getting it sooner and having to go through the whole import it from Italy thing but it's absolutely worth it absolutely oh, nice one of my i'm like i have too much penhaligans now but i mean <laughs> if you like the house <laughs> yes yes it is an amazing house isn't it i think once people kind of get bitten by the penhaligans bug they um they get sort of fall down that rabbit hole yeah well and there's just so much heritage but there's also such a variety they literally yeah. probably have something for everyone yes absolutely Absolutely. As long as they don't cancel it. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. I think it's grown so much in popularity as well. There's so many more uh, people reviewing their fragrances and excited to try them. So I think it's great. Mm -hmm. Um, So scent check out of the way that we probably won't be talking about fragrance quite as much for the rest of the episode because there's so much more to talk about. Now, Gids, I've been watching your youtube channel for a while and in addition Mm -hmm. to sense you also love you know other elements of like fashion and i also noticed you like shoes yes i do like shoes yes in fact i I I saw you had a video where you'd gotten a pair of shoes from chanel yes yes they do you know what i got those um they some people say they're like holy grail um because they were the triple black sneakers and I, I've wanted a pair of Chanel sneakers for a long time because I love fashion. And I remember seeing a show that Karl Lagerfeld did and he put the runway girls or the models in the show, sorry. Um, it was a couture show and he put them all in sneakers. And I remember at the time it was a big thing and I thought, oh, 
And from then I was like, I have to check out Chanel sneakers. And yeah, I've kind of been bitten by the sneaker bug a bit. But yeah, those were a fancy pair of sneakers. <laughs> right. Have you <laughs> I tried? I don't do it too often. <laughs> well, I mean, everybody needs a good pair of sneakers. And if yes. you're going to get a pair of sneakers, like you might as well get the higher end. <laughs> yes. But the yes, kind that yes, actually, definitely. you know, like if I'm going to invest in a pair of sneakers, either they need to be good for gym wear uh-huh. for that kind of support, or I'm uh-huh. I'm not going to invest in a hype beast brand. I'm going to go for like Chanel or yeah, probably not Gucci. I can't bring myself to go for Gucci, but like I would go for a Chanel pair of sneakers. Yes, yes. And the thing is, they actually are really, really well made. And that particular pair, what I love about them is um, they're, they're very versatile because they're sort of like a triple black um, pair of sneakers. And the thing about wearing sneakers is I think we can get away with it more kind of wearing s- sneakers to work. And I, I don't know how it is in the States, but in the UK, you can kind of get away with a dark pair of sneakers, depending on what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are quite versatile. And the logo and the branding on them isn't too out there which I like as well even though I do I do like a little bit of branding I do still think they were quite tasteful um sneakers but yeah well I know they had another uh, pair that double c stamped on the sole which I thought was a very inventive way of if we're going to do big on the logo let's do it in a place where you could still wear it out in a professional setting and not have it be quite so garish Yes, definitely. And this is the thing about logos. Um, See, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the whole logo mania was really big, um, has been big for a while. You mentioned Mm -hmm. Gucci. Gucci had that whole kind of big Gucci effect and GGs and everything. But I do think a logo is, it does represent something. And there's a tasteful way of wearing a logo, I guess. So, yeah. Well, I remember I talked about it. I reviewed uh, Black Tie from Celine. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Where I kind of talked about how we've taken like just slapping a logo gigantically on something and calling that luxury, regardless of how it is made. It's like the brand name, the logo became the luxury, not the build quality. Yes. You know, I think that's where like most Chanel, I mean, Chanel is a little guilty, but like most Chanel or Mm. Celine or Hermes products are still... The focus is still on the quality, though I have noticed the Hermes bags have been yeah. like all over, all over like yeah. these celebrity walking closets that are just overflowing like altars of overconsumption. Yeah. I'm kind of like, eh, I don't know if I'd want my brand yeah. associated with that. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I mean, you're talking about like the Birkins and the Kellys and these bags mm-hmm. that <clears throat> are considered almost you know, well, they are almost, they are kind of a a luxury status symbol. And the thing about these houses are a lot of them still have such great craft, like Hermes, they train, I think they're artisans in order to make a Birkin and a Kelly. I think they're trained for about two or three years before Mm -hmm. they can even make one. And if it's not made to the perfect specifications, then apparently, allegedly it's destroyed (laughs) And then they have to make it again. But I guess with these, um, with certain status symbols, yes, the branding and the logos can confuse the craftsmanship. Definitely, yeah. Well, I mean, you would see um, Gucci as an, as an offender or Louis Vuitton mm. as offenders of like, they wanted to be 
almost entry-level luxury. And I think the quality really took a hit because of what they were slapping their logo on. And you could feel like the shirts that they mm-hmm. would just have a giant logo emblazed on. It's like, I, this is like regular department store yeah. quality. Yeah. This is not what I would expect for luxury, high-end, well-built, this is going to last me quality. And it's actually ironic because like Louis Vuitton, for example, I think with them, their trunks, which is what really is the heritage of Louis Vuitton. It's what's so great about them is that monogram that they have, the Louis Vuitton monogram was actually, I think, a way of actually um, stopping counterfeiting um, because they wanted to make their trunks very kind of distinct. And the Mm. irony is that same thing has kind of worked against them in terms of counterfeiting and oversaturation. Oversaturation, if that's the right mm-hmm. term. Um, but actually, the, the, the funny thing is that logo does actually stand for something. I think it's just like you said, it's it's just slapped on everything, and then that's considered luxury. And it's you know, it's uh, it's a shame. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, you also look at again, like maybe Hermes has been oversaturated with that type of overconsumption, mm. but I would not for one minute see an Hermes bag and think this is just bleh, as far as quality goes, like the quality is still there. Yeah. And what's beautiful about uh, an Hermes bag is the actual artisan who makes the bag. So whether they buy it from the store or from a, and actually what's really interesting is maybe we can touch on this a bit later is this kind of um, pre-loved market, which is really mm-hmm. big at the moment as well. Um, if there's any fault with the bag, they can actually take it to an, uh, the Hermes store or an Hermes spa. And sometimes the actual artisan who made the bag can actually be traced back and they're the ones that repair it, which is really interesting. So that level of care and attention, even though I think these bags have become like, partly the, the sad thing is a lot of people won't actually do their research and look into the beautiful history of the brand. It's just kind of, mm-hmm. what's the most expensive designer handbag? Okay, the Birkin is the kind of expensive bag. Let me just get that bag and forget about the history and the craft and all the stuff behind it. I think that is the sad thing that gets lost when right. it becomes the it item for sure, yeah. Well, and to me, luxury is not... I'm going to go out and get the most expensive trendy item. Luxury is yeah. I'm, I can buy the item that I need that fits my lifestyle and I can have it last for forever. It's like with shoes, um, you know, leather shoes, a good mm. leather shoe, you can have resold for years and years and years and years and years provided, you know, you take care of the shoe. Yes. And this is something, you know, we talked about in the last episode with your clothing of find a good tailor. Yeah. And it's the same, you know, with bags or with shoes. It's find a good cobbler, find a good leather worker of, Mm -hmm. you know, also with the pre-loved market of like, we can keep passing these items on instead of just throwing them away. Just find a good cobbler, find a good leather worker who can restore them for you or, you know, resole your leather shoes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the beauty of buying few, but good quality things is you have more money to invest in good pieces and those Mm -hmm. pieces will last. And in the cases of, I think why the pre-love market is so big is because first of all, the quality of some of the stuff that's being remade now like some of I've heard a lot of complaints from people who are buying Louis Vuitton and saying that the, the canvas that they use now is not as good as it once was 
And I've heard people saying that Chanel, their prices are just, their price increases are so expensive that they've been priced out the market. So the vintage Chanel, which is actually better quality because I think they actually used to use um, actual real um, gold plated on the handbags as whereas now I think a lot of women say that they, they no longer do that. So there's actually an increase of people buying like 90s vintage Chanel and pre a certain period um, because the quality and the craftsmanship is there. So that's really interesting as well. Yeah. Well, I know and a lot of, um, you know, fathers will pass their shoes on to their sons just because they're mm. so well made. You can take them to a cobbler, get them resold, tweaked, however you need and they'll keep lasting. It's the same thing. Like if you get a bespoke fit shoe, it is specifically made for your foot. Yeah. Yeah, right? definitely. And you know, you get a shoe tree and this is one thing I think a lot of people don't understand why you need a shoe tree. A shoe tree keeps the structural integrity of your shoe. It doesn't, I don't care what kind of shoe it is, unless you're talking about like crappy Birkenstocks or flip-flops. But if you're <laughs> going to have an expensive shoe, you need to invest in a shoe tree. Oh, 100%. And I learned that the hard way. <laughs> because it keeps the structural integrity of your shoe from breaking down. Mm. Also, mm, if you have leather shoes, invest in some leather conditioner. Yeah. It will keep yeah. that leather lasting forever. Yeah, yeah. And then find a good cobbler. Once the sole starts wearing out, just go in, have them resole the shoe. And also, I would recommend a lot more people invest in toe taps than they have. Um, are you familiar with toe taps? No, I'm not. So it's a metal plate that goes up on the very top of the sole, like the toe. And, you know, a lot of people are hard walkers. It's just how our bodies are designed. And you might notice for some people who are heavier walkers that the toe part of the sole kind of wears out quicker than the rest of the sole. Right. Well, the toe tap prevents that. So you don't have to get your shoes resold quite as often, especially mm. um, if you've got a closed channel, you know, like the stitching on your sole is hidden and as opposed to, as opposed to being open, open channel, closed channel. Well, once that starts peeling because it starts wearing off at the toll, you have to go get it resold. So if you get a toe tap and you've got a closed channel, it also helps prevent that peeling. Okay. Okay. That's really interesting. That's so interesting. I was actually watching, I think um, there's a, a luxury YouTuber that I was watching and she says whenever she buys very expensive shoes, the first thing she does is she takes them straight to the cobblers and she gets all of that stuff put on them to protect them. Yes. And she showed the difference between um, when she hadn't done that and when she had and how it just made them last so much um, longer. And um, yeah, she was able to obviously take care of them better as well. Same thing. Mm. Like I said, have a relationship with a tailor, have a relationship with a cobbler. They will keep your shoes looking just as mint condition as possible. And a lot of them also know how to do like just the absolute perfect sort of patina. Um, if you have new leather shoes, you know, leather patinas as well. Yeah. Yeah. And they can help you get that patina effect. If you kind of want that for your shoes or, you know, if you want a mirror polish on your shoes, they can help you with that as well. Or if you want to dye your shoes, like there are people who have well-made leather shoes that have all sorts of fun dye <laughs> patterns yeah. on them. Um, that you could do or you know people have their souls painted oh. you know um, yeah they wear off eventually but they look really nice <laughs> yeah yeah 
and you can keep getting them done and refreshing them. Yeah, and it's what? they're sort of like cufflinks or you know the little um, pocket kerchiefs of it's just a little way to express your style. Yeah, of course, and I and I think that's so great. But with how we are now and our lifestyle, do you think because people are so busy and there's this kind of like, okay, let me just get what I can get quickly. I don't have the time to go to the, the tailors and the cobblers and do all these bits and bobs. Do you think the lack of time has contributed to people not taking as much care and as pride in their, their items? I think it's a mindset of, I can't afford that time. Not, I don't have that time mm. because you're still going to have to spend time going out and getting new pieces. Right. Of course. And even more money buying the new pieces than just getting a restore done. Yeah. And I think it's part of it is just the society we live in. It's like consume, consume, consume. So it really, you know, helps with that mindset for consumption of, oh, I don't have time to maintain this. I'm just going to have to go out and buy a new one. You do have time to maintain it. It's just you think you don't, but you don't realize how much time you're spending going out to get new things. Yes. So I think a lot of it is retraining yourself of, well, I do have time to take care of the things I have. Yeah. Because if I take the time now, I don't have to spend that time later. The time is going to be spent either way. I might as well save some money on it and still have nice things. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Of course. That that's very true. And you can obviously make the time, um, if you so wish it obviously like you said it depends on your priorities and what you prioritize which is quite interesting um yeah (laughs) i can't can't disagree with that at all um now i did want to move into a little bit uh spring items as far as fashion goes i know some people kind of have a hard time figuring out what's that sweet spot for appropriate spring wear as opposed to jumping right into summer or, mm. you know, because winter is very bulk, well, in the UK, at least, maybe not quite in Los Angeles, but winter is, it's bulkier pieces, it's heavier materials. And then, you know, you're trying to be in this transition period and there's a lot of overlap between spring and summer. Yeah. Like, and I know, especially since you're as involved with fashion as you are, how, what would be your advice to people who are trying to find that sweet spot? Okay. Um, so like transitional pieces and things like that, when you're Mm -hmm. kind of moving in, um, it's interesting actually, because in the UK, for example, we are, our our seasons, we do have seasons, but you could have one day (laughs) like this week where it's, it's windy. And then another day where you get more sunny and more warmer temperatures. So you're constantly having to kind of adjust. But when we have kind of, when the weather starts to get a bit nicer, and I think, I think we're probably going to see the weather start to get a bit better um, around April which is usually the time um so I, I slowly stop layering as much as I do kind of in autumn and winter that's my time when I slowly stop layering as much pieces because in in autumn winter because it's so cold in the UK like freezing I'm always layering like a shirt and then an, a, a jumper over that or a sweater over that and then sometimes I have like scarves and and all that kind of stuff so I slowly wear less layers um I also try to change color as well so my color palette is a little bit kind of as I've gotten older I, I have gotten I guess a bit boring I mean I stick to kind of white well gray navy and black and 
a few accents of color but as we get more into spring I kind of experiment a bit more um not so much with things like print but I'll get you know start to, to wear softer colors um of pastels I'll slowly start to introduce more kind of pastel colors um I'll wear more shirts blazers that kind of thing so I'm not wearing the heavy overcoats and things like that. And then I'll start to wear my sneakers, um, like lighter colored sneakers um, and things like that. So I'm constantly kind of like juggling and changing and that kind of thing, but having fun as well. Yeah. Always have fun. I know in LA we can have years where it actually does get somewhat chilly. We actually had that this week, but then we have years where it's kind of like, what is winter, you know, Mm. (laughs) We have yeah. either it's a hundred degrees or we're in the seventies, you know? Um, yeah. So I think depending on the climate, trying to go seasonal may just depend on, I think what Gids made a really good point of layering. You may mm-hmm. be able to get away with more layering in the spring, but it's still maybe lighter materials and the colors yeah. are not as muted. Yes. Yes, Definitely. Um, I, I try to make that separation because I think mentally it helps as well. And also I wear so much black in winter that mm-hmm. <laughs> I like to kind of try to stop, but I used to also wear print. I used to wear a lot of print before, before I started like having, trying to create more of a capsule wardrobe. So now I focus more kind of on a capsule wardrobe. So I'll start to wear, I still love gray. Gray is one of my favorite colors. I find gray a very chic, elegant color, but I'll wear a lighter shade of gray. I'll wear, like you said, softer fabrics, um, lighter fabrics, things like that, which is strange because as well, the weather's always shifting here and it suddenly will get windy and cold and then you have to revert back to, you know, heavier pieces. But um, I think, like you said, lighter pieces, um, less layering, um, switching up the colors a bit as well. And just just having fun and, you know, trying new things out. Now, it's interesting you mention um, print patterns. Yeah. And I don't necessarily oppose print patterns on principle. Mm -hmm. I think it, you know, there are certain patterns that I think are appropriate for anybody's wardrobe, especially, um, you know, that check pattern, um, (laughs) you know, stripes. But... (laughs) There are certain patterns that I think because they've come out so frequently in the last few years that have kind of been mistaken for this is appropriate for all occasions as opposed to this is just a statement piece. (laughs) Um, Also, they can be dated very quickly. I was just thinking that in my mind. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I stopped wearing them. Yeah. I mean, obviously you get a good check pattern that looks, I mean, even if it's just like red and white, that Mm -hmm. looks appropriate you could put it on under a blazer you could put it on under a sweater or if it's light enough you could just wear it to the office it's totally okay or like you know small dots or Mm -hmm. something along those lines but then you get to like these big bold patterns that are coming out and they're so proliferated that you start seeing people wearing them into like the workplace or you know Mm. when we did go into the workplace and we preface um when you would go into the workplace or you're wearing it to a more formal event or a family gathering where I'm kind of like, it doesn't quite fit. Like I think you think mm. it does. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the problem that I had is when I was, when I realized that the penny drop I was like, okay, I know what looks good on me. I know what my style is. I realized that all the stuff that I got rid of, a lot of it was print. And the thing about print is 
at the time you think, oh, this is great. But then it does date very easily. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard to coordinate um, with other colors. And I think if you're someone who you do want to incorporate color into your wardrobe, I think like what I've realized is wearing dark colors. I love navy, for example, and gray and black and, and some camel, etc. But you don't have to... Um, stop completely what I'll do instead is maybe I'll wear like a a, a lovely red scarf or Mm -hmm. something which has a bit of color in it just add a bit of you know something to kind of break it up a bit or like you said like a nice pocket um square or something that gives a bit of personality but um print yeah I me personally my personal opinion I I avoid I'm obviously with kids on this I would avoid print (laughs) outside of the prints I said I think are you know perfectly acceptable safe prints but at the same time it doesn't mean you have to avoid color i think you know especially for women jewel tones work really well or just solid color pieces and i think they contrast really well with you know the darker the navies the blacks the grays the camels i mean it just it's such a nice contrast if you have like a nice deep burgundy scarf or even just a red undershirt Yes, exactly. You, know, you have a One navy sort of sweater color. and then you're on like the button up you have beneath the navy that you can see the collar of is a solid color. I think it just looks so nice and put together. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the perfect way to do it. Like you said, just to give it a nice pop of color, very simple, very elegant. And it's versatile. You can keep re reuse it, like rewearing it and re kind of remixing it in different ways. So that's what you want. You want versatility. And it also, I think that lets you smuggle color into an area where maybe like a full, just bright red sweater would not be appropriate, but a <laughs> navy sweater with like a solid red undershirt, under button up, you can smuggle mm-hmm. some color in that way. It's perfectly fine. You could wear that to, you know, quote unquote, a funeral and get away with it. Wearing a bright red sweater into a funeral yeah i I wouldn't suggest that depending on your culture (laughs) i know you know in some cultures that would just be outright offensive um but it's a good way to i think like you said with the layering it lets you bring in different personality aspects without ever going overboard yeah and if you want kind of something that's going to see through different seasons that's going to last and especially if we're talking about the idea of buying um, few but good pieces that will give you more versatility um, long term as well and save you money. <laughs> exactly. Now, I have a topic that I'm starting to see coming up again, and that's mm-hmm. hats for men. Yes. I'm not talking about the baseball caps, I'm talking about like a good quality hat. Yes. And hats have like not been part of men's fashion for several decades. And I'm starting to see, it looks like they may be slowly creeping back in. They are. They are. Um, I, what was the, I saw a runway show. I think it was Louis Vuitton's um, one of their last seasons and they had hats on so many of the guys coming out, which was really interesting. So in general, I think hats are coming back for men. Definitely. Well, I'm always just kind of like, you know, women still get to wear either earmuffs or a wraparound or some kind of like warming heat retaining device. But for a while mm-hmm. it was, you know, it wasn't in fashion for men to wear anything on their heads. And I'm kind of like, that's not really fair in a cold climate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was probably seen for a long time as quite dated, like a, mm-hmm. a, the previous generation. It was a bit kind of old man kind of vibe. Um 
But I think that's kind of like the sartorial kind of elegance that is coming back. I mean, I tried on Amazing Hat at Liberty and it wasn't even that expensive. It was a, a beautiful wool hat. I think it was like 80 pounds, which I think is really reasonable for a hat of that quality. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so I'm going to at some point get that hat, probably when we go into the next season. But yeah, I love hats. Well, and I, I do want to preface, this is not the Trilby hat. I, I mm-hmm. do not necessarily recommend running out and buying a Trilby just because there is still so much negative connotation linked to that pr- poor hat. It's not mm-hmm. even the hat's fault, but you see a guy wearing a Trilby, at least as a woman, and you have, um, how do I say this, certain associations with the type of people you think wear that hat. Okay. <laughs> okay. The milady. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, because, yeah. you know, at least over here in the U.S., for a time, there was a certain type of person that wore a trilby, and they had some rather um, anti-woman mm. views. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I um, mean, they were kind of like the edgelord. I'm going to wear a trilby, and I'm going to wear, like, a black print T-shirt and cargo shorts and crappy old sneakers, and the shirt's going to say, like, women belong in the kitchen, go make me a sandwich. Mm. so if you are in the u.s at least and you're considering getting a hat um i I think that's a great idea i would maybe suggest not quite going back to the trilby yet okay okay (laughs) until it's reinvented in some way yes until that's kind of no longer there but i think there's some um ivy caps that, that are made out of tweed i think those look amazing Oh, I love tweed hats. Yeah, those are great. Those um, are great. And again, that's that's the way of adding print, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The, the flat caps or the newsboys. That's what I was trying yeah. to say. Especially those that like they're made out of tweed. I think those look so, so elegant. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, like the, the Homburg hats. Yeah. I think those look really nice. And I've seen that, the Panama hat. I've even seen some derby hats come back. Mm-hmm. Um, some fedora, not trilby hats, and even pork pies are kind of being brought back in, but they're being brought back in in ways like they're very well made and mm-hmm. they're matched to the suit or the outfit the gentleman wearing them has on. Mm, definitely. And they're not as expensive as people would think. Like the, the some of the ones I saw in Liberty, which were, they were all handmade, first of all. Um, and they were 100% wool and made in the UK. Um, and I think that probably speaks to the fact that they're not that popular um, for them to be at that price point because that's very reasonable mm-hmm. for a hat of that quality, definitely. But I mean, I would, I am all for having hats make more of a comeback. I think hats are amazing. They're, they're just lovely little personality aspects that you can build off mm. of. Um, you know, like a guy who can go and rock a boater mm-hmm. and look sharp in a boater. I'm like, I automatically, I want to know more about that guy. Right. Right. Cause he's obviously got some personality to him. Mm. At least that's my view anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think as well, um, like you said, getting the hat that fits you because we all have such different, um, head shapes. Exactly. So it is important to, you know, get a hat that fits and suits you and that you feel comfortable in. Cause one of the things was I always felt really insecure wearing hats because especially 
um, like fedoras and flat caps because for a long time I thought, oh, they don't look good on my head. They don't suit me. But it's all in your head. Um, and it, was, it wasn't until I went to a store and someone said, no, this is the right size for your head and actually measured my head <laughs> that I realized, no, it's fine. I'm, it's all in my mind. Right. And again, part of it is just because some of this is still seen as very out of fashion mm. or dated mm. as opposed to, no, it's making a comeback. You're actually kind of on the leading edge of bringing this fashion back. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the funny thing about trends is that's why you shouldn't follow them because <laughs> they will kind of lead you sometimes down a wrong path of thinking, oh, I can't wear this because it's not in fashion or this isn't a trend, but actually people who are, um, I don't want to say trendy as subjective, but people who follow their own instinct often don't follow a trend or don't follow trends. Right. Well, and again, to me, like luxury isn't, I ha- I'm having to chase the latest super trendy styles. Luxury mm. is I'm getting some very nice pieces that they're practically timeless and I'm going to look good no matter where I wear them or when I wear them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that luxury customer is changing. Um, the class, I feel like the classic luxury customer who shops luxury and appreciates luxury understands that. But I think maybe some of the younger customers and I think a lot of the brands like Gucci have targeted like the millennials and that kind of group whom that's what they think they want. You know, the the instantly recognizable pieces with lots of branding and you know, status related stuff. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting to, to kind of think about. To me, I would focus more on like the phrases of handmade or bespoke mm. when it's, it's made for you. You want to talk about exclusivity. If something is made specifically for you and nobody else in the world, that's exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. You're right. Absolutely. Exclusivity is the key. Um. And I'm I'm not saying, you know, be a jerk about it, but I'm saying if something is bespoke, made to you, it's made only for you, you and nobody else in the world. That's its own form of exclusivity. Not so much as can I afford an 8,000 pound Aramis Birkin. And I think that's how you can create almost your own luxury, can't you? Because even Mm -hmm. if you think about it, you could literally buy your own fabric and um, of a high quality and actually get stuff made like you said if you establish a good relationship with a tailor and actually even get stuff made for you which is your own form of of luxury well and you look at like the ultra 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 wealthy and i'm not trying to make like jump in like class distinctions here but at the habits Mm. of like the super ultra wealthy or like the old money families of they're not chasing around after the labels or after the brands, mm. a lot of them get their stuff bespoke made. Yeah, yeah. There was there's a book I read all about this: how luxury lost its luster, which is a really interesting book. Oh, I've um, seen that book. I need to get it. Very interesting because that's one of the points that, that her name is Dana Thomas, mm-hmm. and one of the interesting things she said was the idea of luxury. Um, you know, early on was exactly what we're discussing now is things that were made exclusively with the highest, you know, the highest quality materials, um, the highest uh, craft, etc. before there was this kind of move of like mass production and all these companies who've now kind of, you know, grown so massively. And a lot of them are trying to, you know, making money for their shareholders. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it's a really good read for anyone who's interested in you know delving more into that sort of subject right and even just it's part of luxury to me is just knowing what you're buying mm. you know like you you mentioned earlier in the episode somebody just looks for the most expensive handbag and goes out and buys it to have the most expensive handbag and doesn't appreciate the history of what they bought and the craftsmanship that went into what they bought and the man hours that went into what they bought. Mm. Yeah. And the fact that it was completely made by hand, which is quite astonishing in this day and age that Mm -hmm. those, those bags, which apparently you can't just walk into a store and get one. You have to be on, you have to be on (laughs) a waiting list and you have to tell them what you're looking for and they have to approve for whichever you want to buy. You may be wanting three different things and they say, well, you can buy a scarf today, but you can't buy the others part. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently there, there there are lots of videos on YouTube discussing how they, how certain women who've got these bags have got them and was, is it luck? Is it, uh, you know, like, is it wish list? Is it like you just said, it's, you know, establishing rapport with the salesperson and mm-hmm. yeah, it's very interesting anyway. <laughs> but again, you know, there's also like we talked about, there is a pre-loved market out here for these as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm sure some of them find what they want from the pre-loved market, especially if the person before never used it. Yes. Yes. Because I guess with those those bags, if you or, or any of those items are specific to, or in this case, the Birkin bag, I think when you go in, you can. They say yes, we have it, we have some, but you're it's it's luck if you find what you're looking for. It might be a bright red bag, and that's the bag you're offered, and women mm-hmm. will take it because it's the bag. Whereas I guess on the pre-loved, you can look at exactly what it is you're looking for, the style, the color, but you're going to pay a premium, obviously, um, for that item. Right. Yeah. Well, and again, like I, I, I guess I am going to bring in fragrances of, mm. I talked about, you know, I do think as far as these high end brands doing their own version of fragrances, I do think some of them succeed at keeping that air of quality. And then some of them, I think just fail abysmally. Yeah. Chanel yeah. keeps that air of these are like, these are fragrances. Yeah. You yeah. will never find them on sale. You will never find them on a gray market site. They don't even want people decanting them and selling decants. Like they will sue you for it. Yeah. Chanel they, doesn't play around. They do not. They still have that air of like, this is an exclusive high end perfume. Yeah. And I think Celine, from what I've smelled of their line, with the thought that went into it, how much they've talked to the noses behind who, who, who's made their line the quality feel, the presentation of it, they feel high end perfume. Interesting. Then you go look at Hermes and it does it doesn't. I don't get yeah. that same feeling of like quality that they put in their bags and their scarves. I don't get that with their perfume line. Yeah. I think their perfume line is a bit confused, if I'm honest. Uh um, they have some nice perfumes in their collection, but like you said, for the level that they are as a luxury ha- fashion house, I don't think their fragrances reflect that at all. I mean, I, I would love for them to, but even if you just look at it, you look at the bottle presentation between Chanel and Celine versus, or even Dior versus Hermes, and I'm like, 
some of these in these weird leather wraps you put them in, I would expect to go find off of what is it, Armoff that has those mm. weird leather wrap bottles. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah. this doesn't look luxury. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. It's, it's, I haven't been massively impressed with um its fragrances i know they have i know they've got a private line but again i don't think well one of the ones that was the private line that i was looking up i was like i could go find this looks like something i'd find off of our moth okay fair enough <laughs> i'm just yeah, like you guys good. like the, it's just it's it's not here and you can find them on the gray markets mm. i think that then speaks to the fact that they obviously put more emphasis on their fashion and leather goods mm-hmm. and because because Hermes is they were actually aren't they a saddle um famous for like horse riding and saddles and things like that I think that's their their heritage mm-hmm. like like leather pieces that they used to make for saddle riders and horse riders and then they evolved into leather goods and then later on to fashion and ready to wear and stuff I mean, like, I'm not saying that the bottle has to just be this wonderful masterpiece, but if I'm buying from a known brand, I expect the presentation to meet that brand level. Mm. Especially if I'm going to be dropping some not insignificant money on it, I expect the presentation to be of a certain level. I don't think they're probably invested enough into that. Because I think with Chanel, for example, the heritage before they were a fashion house, well, actually, probably this is this isn't correct, but they are to me, I equally see Chanel as a fragrance house as I do as the fashion house, mm-hmm. because Chanel number no. five, I think it's iconic. really put, it put them on the map. It put Coco on the map. She was the first designer to create a fragrance and put her name on a fragrance. She's the first designer in, in history to do that. Um, and I think with Dior as well, he very early on, he made Miss Dior and the house of Dior was so iconic for fragrances that very early on, that was very, very important to them as a house. I don't think with Hermes, they've really established that or prioritized that in the same way, even though they could. You're right. I agree. I don't think they, I just, I don't think that's where the priority is for them. Yeah. But you get a bottle of a Chanel fragrance and you mm. know, you're getting like the presentation that comes in the white box with the black outline. Yeah, And then you open it up and it's got all the nice bits and bobs inside and the paper. And it's like, you're, you're unwrapping a gift essentially. Yeah. Yeah. You packaging know, or is... Even for certain niche brands, like surge offs packaging is just oh, out yeah. of this world. Beautiful. Um, but I, you look at that and then you see some of the uh, other brands like Penhaligon's amazing packaging. The bottles are just amazing. Yeah. But then you see some other brands and I'm kind of like, well, you're wanting me to pay a couple hundred dollars for the juice inside and you're giving me a very outwardly appearance Mm -hmm. and you're trying to tell me you're niche and luxury and exclusive, but nothing I'm seeing visually is telling me you are. Absolutely. I agree with that. I agree. And I think also I'm overwhelmed at how many releases there are with some of these high-end luxury houses like Louis Vuitton. I can't keep up with how many fragrances they release. I appreciate what Celine did is like, we are releasing our entire line at once and it's like eight perfumes and Mm. that's going to be it for a while. Like this is our line. Yeah. But I do agree. It does seem like there has been a bit of a flooding the market with releases with certain brands of let's just keep churning stuff out and hope hope everybody keeps buying them. Yeah. 
and that's what I appreciate about Chanel is they they take their time like mm-hmm. even with the the I think their newest on the Les exclusive is Le, Le Leon which was a Middle Eastern exclusive they do really take their time and put a lot of thought and probably the same with Celine and it's interesting because I know Celine had um, a new creative director who was actually um, at Dior a few years ago um, can't remember his name but that got a bit of a shake-up so maybe that's also his influence coming in at Celine with when were those fragrances released uh 2019 yeah so he would have come in um last couple of years he might have uh, influenced this, that they hadn't put out a fragrance since the 1960s wow so they they took their time with this and they made sure like this was an event like this is significant mm. for us as a house it is we are going to make it count right I'd love to check them out. I think that will be, I mean, I've seen this, the Celine um, bottles and I was quite impressed the whole presentation, etc. Visually it looks quite inviting. So yeah, I'm going to have to pop into a Celine and try some out. I would definitely, if you're in an area where you can <laughs> pop in to try them that way, do that because yes. the samples are not cheap. <laughs> I can imagine. Like you're looking at $15 to get a sample of this stuff over here. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. So I I would definitely, if you do want to try them and you've got a store near you or a department store that will be carrying them, try them out that way because they are not cheap. Yeah. Well, hopefully once Harrods opens up, because obviously everything's still closed down, um, I think in April things are going to open up. Then I can go and have a little uh, wonder and explore. Does Fortnum and Mason carry them or is that, are they more limited in what they're able to carry? I think they're more limited in what they're able to carry. Because um, they started as a grocers, if I understood that correctly, yeah. and then kind of slowly yeah. have been expanding. Yeah, yeah. They, they've they got an amazing um, perfume hall um, on, I think it's the fourth or fifth floor, which is which is amazing. But it's more, um, they've got Penhaligans, Francis Kirk Dijon. Um, they've got the, 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 I can't remember the fragrances, the bat and the bee, zoologist. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So they've got kind of the typical heavy hitters The typical, right now. yeah, all of those sort of fragrances, um, but not the Celine. I think that will probably be in Harrods hmm. um, or in the actual Celine boutiques themselves. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't believe Selfridges has quite the selection in store as they do online, from what they, I've heard. No, I think they, they are getting uh, better. I think they have, yeah, they definitely have more online than in the store itself and the only thing about selfridges selfridges sorry i find it's a bit congested when you come in it's it's very busy so i i do sometimes walk in there and i'm a bit overwhelmed when i look in there and think well what should i try and where should i go and it's just always a bit chaotic even in the pandemic when there were less customers it was still somehow quite busy which was strange so what about, and I know there, there's the big four, you've got Harrods and Selfridges yeah. and Fortnum and Mason, and then you have Liberty. Got Liberty as well. Yes. Liberty's great. Liberty's feels more um, exclusive. Like they have all these interesting niche brands and smaller brands, um, which is lovely as well. Um, and it's, it literally feels like if Penhaligon's was a massive store, it would be Liberty. Right. <laughs> That's what I, I, I feel as well. My friend said that. Um, but we have Harvey Nichols as well, which is just up the road from Harrods. That's a great, another great place to check out fragrances. Not as many as the selections as um, Selfridges or 
Harrods. And then you've got Burlington Arcade and then you've got um, Javoy, which apparently has lots and lots of niche um, fragrances. And you've got a place called Bloom as well, which I need to check out in uh, central London. And I know Bloom, if they're still open after the pandemic, you can actually make mm. your own there. Oh, wow. Really? From what I was reading on their website last year. Oh, I need to go and explore. I need to do maybe see if I can do a vlog or something there. That would be that would be brilliant. Yeah, I'd watch it. <laughs> and I watch your channel anyway. You guys should oh. be watching um, Gids' channel if you haven't. Well, actually, this is the perfect time to plug your channel. <laughs> yeah, so my channel is I Am Gids uh, YouTube, yes. And if I do you- uh, fragrance and vlogs. Yes, sorry. If you want to see somebody going out to like the high street London areas, like the super luxury areas of London to just kind of take you in on his own adventures, going into Harrods or Fortnum and Mason, um, Liberty, what have you, like, he's a fantastic channel to follow. I live vicariously through kids. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's lovely as people um, say to me, oh, that's really cool. Like they, people obviously... Um, like to see things through you know through your eyes or because in the world right now everyone's kind of in difficult circumstances mm-hmm. um, so it's always lovely the feedback of oh you know that's great and it's, that cheered me up to see that or people are just really curious what parts of London look like and so I think going forward I look out because I'm gonna definitely try to do some more kind of very cool vlogs and show different parts of London and things like that it's made me I think this lockdown has made me appreciate London so much more I can't wait to get out and to just explore again well I will keep living vicariously through you then (laughs) Um, LA still has a little bit to go I mean we're actually finally moving out of the most reserved tier finally Mm -hmm. next week but we're still in the second most reserved tier so I will definitely be living vicariously through you for a considerable amount of time yeah well, April the 12th is the official day that they've said we're going to kind of come out and, and stuff can start to reopen. So um, fingers crossed, touching wood and all that good stuff. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you again for joining us on uh, Sartorial Splendor. I always love when you come on because we have such uh, long and broad yet in-depth conversations about sartorial pieces and overall behavior towards consumption yes yes thank you so much it's always so much fun like I was genuinely looking forward to it and I was so excited when you asked me to come back so (laughs) thank you thank you Corey a pleasure um I will have a link to both his Instagram and the YouTube channel below on the actual article on our fundamental site so if you do want to check him out uh just make sure you open that article go to the site find the article um you'll be able to get to there also, we do have other podcasts on the Fundamentals Network. We have Ladies First. Obviously, we have Sartorial Splendor. We have That's Haram, Cannon Fodder, All Bark, No Dice, Right to Survive. I'm probably going to forget one. Um, oh, yes, Fay Forge Academy. That's a weekly TTRPG live play. So there's plenty of other podcasts to check out. Also, make sure I will link to Gid's previous episode in this article as well. Go check that out. It was a really good conversation with him kids thank you so much for taking some time out of your sunday to talk with me again you're most welcome thank you for having me back Corey. thank you thank the rest of you guys for tuning in make sure you're still staying safe in the meantime have a good one